Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. One of the biggest struggles for a family who is missing or murdered loved ones is the not knowing. That, I'm told, is the hardest. Not knowing where they are, what happened, or not knowing who killed them. And not having the closure they need to heal. There's a saying that the truth always comes out, and I truly believe that. Sometimes it's quick, and sometimes it takes longer. A lot longer. Years, decades, but it comes. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. In the three cases we're talking about today are ones that have been the epitome of that, waiting and longing for the truth. There have been shifts in each investigation, one solved, one a change of direction, and one so close to justice. Will they end these chapters with justice? Will they get the closure? And most importantly, will it be right? I'm Linda with It's a Crime. Let's get into it. Natalie Holloway was an 18-year-old teenager who went missing 18 years ago on May 30th, 2005 on a senior class trip to Aruba. She was last seen leaving a bar with three strangers, two brothers and a 17-year-old guy named Joran Vandersloot, who has remained the prime suspect in her disappearance all these years, but was never formally charged. And up until this year, he mostly denied his involvement or he changed his story. In fact, Joran had told authorities that he went back to a hotel with Natalie that night, but that was proven to be false by video surveillance. His story changed several times. He was arrested a few times throughout the years, but he was never charged with her disappearance. Joran now is 36 years old and currently serving a 28-year sentence in Peru for the murder of another student there, 21-year-old Stephanie Flores, who coincidentally, or not so coincidentally, was murdered on the same day as Natalie, May 30th, but five years later in 2010 and their murders were very similar in nature. A major breakthrough in the case happened very recently as Joran finally confessed to the murder of Natalie in exchange for a plea deal in an extortion case related to her. Years back, Joran had extorted around $25,000 from Natalie's mom, Beth, in exchange for the location of Natalie Holloway's remains and circumstances of her death. He tried to get another $225,000 upon positive identification of the remains, but he never did lead the Holloway family to Natalie's body. What he did do though, he had written an email under a pseudonym J.P. Sanders in 2010 saying, I will take you to the place where Natalie is and once you see it, you will understand a lot more. I want this monkey off my back as much as I know Natalie's parents want to bring her home. 
Now, according to the authorities, that first $25,000 payment was a result of Natalie's mom, Beth, and her attorney meeting up with Yoren in Aruba in a sting operation. They gave him $10,000 in cash and wired another $15,000 to his bank account. So in order to do this plea deal, Yoren had to make what's called a proffer. He had to provide info about what he knew about Natalie's death, the case, and his involvement in it. And Natalie's parents were to witness this statement in real time. He was expected to reveal how Natalie died and the whereabouts of her body. He then also had to do a polygraph, which took about 45 minutes to complete. According to the authorities, this confession had to satisfy three parties, the FBI, the U.S. Attorney's Office, and the Holloways. According to the FBI, it was determined with the highest level of confidence that Yorin was truthful about killing Natalie, something that the family already knew in their hearts was the truth. On October 3rd of 2023, Natalie's family watched an audio and video feed of Vandersloot being questioned for three full hours. First, he was interviewed by his attorney and then by FBI agents. According to the attorney who represents Natalie's father, Dave Holloway, he said the confession was chilling and said that this is a person who lacks any sort of moral compass. There was audio that was released of his confession. Have a listen to the clip. So she, she asked to go back to her hotel, but I was just trying to get dropped off a little bit uh, further away from her hotel so we could uh, walk back to her hotel and I might still get a chance to, to be with her. Okay. That's so, what I was hoping for. Okay. So what happens? Um, yeah, Deepak drops me off at a, at a place uh, a little right of the, of the Marriott Hotel known as the Fisherman's Huts. Um, this place uh, is not so far from, you know, the next hotel is the Marriott and the next hotel after that is, is another Marriott, uh, which is a timeshare, and then it's the, the Holiday Inn. Um, well, we, we walk along the beach. Uh, do Deepak and Satish get out, come with you, uh, what, what happens? Uh, Deepak and Satish leave. Uh, they, uh, they leave... Uh, they go back to their home. I assume they go back to their home. Um, they get in their car and they leave. Uh, I'm actually with uh, I'm actually with uh, with Natalie walking along the beach. Uh, I find a space uh, before we get to the before we get to the Marriott Hotel where I lay her down. We lay down together in the sand and. Uh, we start kissing each other. I start. I get her to kiss me again. We start kissing each other, and uh, I start feeling her up again. And she tells me no. She tells me she doesn't want me to, to feel her up. Uh, I insist. I keep feeling her up either way. Um, and uh, she knees me. Uh, she ends up kneeing me in the crotch. Uh, when she knees me in the crotch, uh, I get up. Uh, on the beach and I kick her extremely hard in, in the face. Um, yeah, she's laying down uh, unconscious, possibly even uh, even dead, but definitely unconscious. And uh, I see uh, right next to her, there's a, there's a huge uh, cinder block laying on the beach. When you say cinder block, uh, looking at the walls of this uh, place, is it like those? The exact same cinder blocks. I see a huge cinder block laying on the 
on the beach. Uh, I take this and uh, yeah, I, I, I smash her head in with it completely. Uh, yeah, her face basically, you know, uh, collapses in. Even though it's dark, I can see her face is collapsed in. Um, afterwards, I don't exactly know uh, what, uh, you know, I'm, I'm scared. I don't know what to do. Uh, and I, um, <clears throat> I decide to, to take her and uh, uh, to put her into the ocean. So I grab her and I... I half, uh, half pull and half walk with her into the ocean. Um, I, uh, I push her off. Uh, I walk up, uh, up to about my knees into the ocean, and I push her off into, into the, into the, into the sea. Um, and uh, yeah, after that, I, I get out. I, I walk home. Now, there was an interesting article on Crime Online, and it talked about Nancy Grace and Cheryl McCollum, who went to Aruba and the troubles that they had, and they showed a picture of a cinder block in this article on the beach in Aruba at the Fisherman's Hut. Now, note that Joran said he used a cinder block on the beach on Natalie's head, and in the article, a cinder block was shown. What's chilling is this is the same spot I was last year while I was in Aruba and I was walking the beach when it suddenly stormed and it basically was torrential downpour in just minutes, I hid underneath this same hut. And these are the pictures I took under that hut. Now, Natalie's mom, Beth, talked about the confession and said, it's just blistering to your soul and it hurts so deeply. Even as hard as it is to hear, it's still not as torturous as the not knowing. It was time for me to know. She said she was absolutely confident that they received the truth that day. And Natalie's dad, Dave, said he accepts Joran's confession that he killed his daughter, but he does question if others helped him to conceal the crime. Now, in this confession, Joran talked about putting Natalie in the water to dispose of her body. And I had remembered there was information that was released back in September about an email he had written to a friend in 2010 talking about what happened to Natalie after he killed her. He wrote it and said, my dad got a boat two days later. We went for a ride and took care of things. That's all I'm going to say. So police in Aruba spoke to boat operators on the island to see if they could uncover any more information. And according to reports, investigators spoke to one in particular to find out if he was involved in dumping her body. Investigators said the most likely scenario was that she was taken out on a boat. But they said the key is figuring out who would have taken him out there to do it. He and his father didn't have a boat of their own. So even in this confession, it differs from the email he wrote. However, he did take a polygraph as part of this plea deal. And of course, Aruba is an island. And in my opinion, if someone were to be killed, I'm sure one of the solutions, if not the solution, is to dispose of them in the water. What do you think?
Now, on October 18th of this year, the sentencing hearing took place and Beth, Natalie's mom, was able to address the killer. Reports said that she walked up to the lectern, paused and looked at him right in the eye and then continued to the lectern giving her impact statement. One of the things she said directly to him was, by the way, you look like hell, Yorin. I do not see how you're going to make it. You are a killer and I want you to remember that every time that jail door slams. Natalie's dad, Dave, said his daughter's killer is evil personified. And he said, while I am satisfied that the defendant murdered Natalie alone, I have no doubt others provided him with aid and assistance in preventing us from being able to return Natalie home. Yorin received a sentence of 20 years regarding the charges on extortion, but as part of his plea agreement, it will run concurrently with his sentence in Peru. That sentence will end in 2045. And according to an official, they said, it's one of those cases that I'll always remember. Of course, it's one of those where the FBI team was able to flex its muscles and really bring all its resources together and stay after this and bring it to conclusion. But what will stick the most with me personally is just hearing Beth Holloway and Dave Holloway say that they got what they needed, they heard what they needed to hear, and for them it's over. Now there's a statute of limitations in Aruba of 12 years on homicide cases. However, according to reports, Yorin may still face murder charges in Aruba and the case is still classified as open. The prosecutor's office in Aruba asked for court docs, transcripts and all documents related to the case. The office said it's going to depend on various factors whether they will prosecute or not. Now Natalie's brother Matt says he believes Yorin's confession but doesn't believe he's sincere in his apology. In court Yorin told the Holloways that he's sorry and that he's not the same person anymore but Matt says he just said that for you know himself to look better in front of everyone he said he always knew that he was his sister's killer he also had something really important to say and this just goes to show how this affects people he said for me it's not done it's just getting started one day he's gonna be a free man and I'm so happy to say this I'm gonna be there I'm gonna find him and I'm gonna give him the butt whooping that his daddy didn't have the backbone to do when he was growing up if somebody doesn't whoop his butt he's going to kill again and Beth Natalie's mom said Yorin Vandersloot is no longer the suspect in Natalie's murder Yorin Vandersloot is her killer that is the answer I needed I am now able to begin to move my life forward a few days after trial was Natalie's birthday she would have celebrated her 37th birthday had her killer not taken away her very bright future I'm glad the Holloways can finally move forward after 18 years and Yorin is behind bars. I hope that they can prosecute him in Aruba and I'm curious how they would get around those statute of limitations for homicide of those 12 years. Scary at the thought that this man can be out in any year and uh, let alone 2045 is just not enough in my opinion. According to Aruba, they aren't able to give a straightforward answer on whether or not they can prosecute, which is interesting. What are your thoughts on this? Let me know in the comments below. I've been to Aruba three times. The last time was last Christmas. It's a gorgeous island. 
warm weather year round. I've walked the beaches. She was on years ago. I was actually at the nightclub they were at uh, when they still operated it as Carlos and Charlie's. And Aruba has great food. It's a great time. And it's horrible that a teenager who was celebrating with her classmates met a boy who took advantage of her and took her life away, leaving behind a ripple effect of his actions. Next up is the case of Madeline McCann, or should I say the very controversial case of Madeline McCann. There have been ongoing developments in this high-profile unsolved missing child case. The three-year-old British girl went missing from a holiday apartment in Praia de Luz, Portugal in 2007, 16 years ago. Christian Bruckner, a German national who is currently serving another prison sentence for other heinous crimes, has been named the suspect and the prime suspect in her disappearance. However, he has never been formally charged Charged. There has been major controversy surrounding Christian and being the, named the prime suspect. Even on my channel, there's been a lot of heated comments. Many people believe that he is just a scapegoat for who they feel the real suspects are, who are Madeline's parents. But earlier this year, the Portuguese police met with Madeline's parents to apologize for how they handled the case. Back in 2007, just four months after their little girl's disappearance, they were named suspects. They did cancel the belief a year later of that, but reports say they remained suspects for some time afterward. The McCanns sued the lead detective in the case, who was later removed from the case. He went on and wrote a book talking about his suspicions of the McCanns. The Portuguese Supreme Court, though, threw out the case. They appealed, but failed. Did you read this book? Let me know in the comments what were some major moments in it. I have not read it. The Portuguese police are now saying that the case and their initial investigation wasn't handled properly. They are supporting the German authorities who believe that it is Christian Bruckner, that he is responsible for the disappearance and murder of little Madeleine McCann. There's been no comment from the McCanns about the apology from the Portuguese police. Now, a German prosecutor claims that Madeleine is in fact dead and that she died in Portugal and also adds that there is no way that Madeleine is alive, which is interesting. Today, she'd be 20 years old. And journalists asked the prosecutor, from what you've seen, are you sure that she's dead? And his reply was, yeah. When asked if the authorities knew where the location is of the crime, the response was maybe. He also said, I can only say that we have only one suspect at the moment. She died in Portugal and we think maybe we know where it happened. I wonder if the location was the recently searched reservoir. I did a video not long ago. You can check it out right here or you can do it at the end of the video and I'll also have it in the description box below. But the prosecutor is keeping his cards tightly to his chest about the reservoir and rightly so. He said he cannot speak of the results due to the ongoing investigation. But he did say, at the reservoir, we are searching for evidence, not for the body of Madeline. And earlier on, while there was a search at that reservoir, they did announce that they did find something. But of course, we have to wait to find out what that will be if or when it goes to trial. Now, Christian's lawyer said that they are openly looking for Madeline's DNA, yet they didn't find any. He said he saw mostly DNA reports and that the only conclusion he's come up with was that it was a fruitless search. But the prosecution added to that saying, Mr. Christian Bruckner doesn't seem to have an alibi. 
and that he believes now more than ever that he is in fact the murderer. And more and more, it does seem like there's an increasing amount of details about Christian every month that goes by. He also talked about an online exchange between Christian and another pedophile and that it could be a hint about what happened to her because it was reported that he used the letters MM and that it was said it could be a reference to Madeline McCann. Not only that, but apparently Christian was quite detailed about having desires to abduct a little girl and the desire to document it. Now, back at that reservoir, there was a couple that found a shrine, a Madeline shrine, basically, with her picture there only months after her disappearance. So I wonder if that was or could be a part of his documentation. What do you think? I'm curious what you think. Let me know below. Christian then talked about destroying evidence and the pedo responded with MM and the prosecutor said it's important and it could be a big piece of the large puzzle. Could be awfully coincidental, although I don't believe in coincidences, do you? Now, it was reported recently that Christian started writing letters to his buddies to ask them if they could defend him, saying that the prosecutors are making him out to be a monster. No, sir, it sounds like you're doing that all by yourself. According to reports, at least two friends were sent these letters and it had been a long period of time without contact. Then all of a sudden he's asking these friends to defend him and talk about what a good guy he is. But these friends aren't interested in defending him and are fully aware of his background. They said, it's outrageous for Chris to ask for help because now we all know about his past. Back when we were hanging with him in the early 2000s, it was all a secret. We didn't know he was a pedophile, but now he doesn't stand a chance of anybody speaking up for him in court. In one of my previous videos, I talked about a guy who was a former friend who talked about the case and said that Christian had told him that she didn't scream when discussing the case a detail that only the abductor or killer would know, right? However, according to a German source, this former friend is going to withdraw his evidence apparently, and that this friend was paid a large amount of money to repeat the statement to a German newspaper, and now he's reneging on the statement. But the prosecution said that they were unaware of this withdrawal, but said his statement could still carry weight. He said, anyone who has said something must be measured by it. Witnesses are subject to the duty of truth. They have to testify. You can't just choose something like that. And Christian is far from innocent in his character, whether he's Madeline's killer or abductor or not. He's currently serving a seven-year sentence in an unrelated SA case and drug trafficking charges. He's supposed to be released in 2026, which is a very scary thought. He has a history of all kinds of disgusting things, and that's only the things the authorities know about. And this guy getting out won't be a good thing for any community wherever he ends up. Now, speaking of behavior, here's where it gets interesting. Christian allegedly watched a film about a kidnapped girl while he was in prison where they had a film festival. According to reports, this festival is called the Oldenburg Festival and it allows the public to pay a fee and watch movies with inmates. One of the movies was a Japanese film called From Dawn Till Noon on the Sea and the plot a 20-something-year-old man kidnapped a schoolgirl and kept her confined in his apartment for 49 days. Other films there include the topic of murder and children dying. Now, I don't know about you, but that's not what I would choose exactly for pedophiles and murders to watch. 
Would you? What do you think about this? Let me know below. There is controversy surrounding this movie festival, which is not a surprise, but the spokesperson for this festival defended it and said, the unique festival aims to allow members of the public to see what prison life is like. The concept is not only to offer inmates a unique cultural experience, but also to offer the general public a glimpse into the daily routines of prison life while sharing the common language of film. I don't know about that. During a recent search near that reservoir area, investigators were focused on locating drives and USB sticks that might contain photographs of little Madeline. Authorities suspect Christian had buried data carriers such as hard drives and USB sticks at various locations where he stayed. And the primary hope during the search was to discover images related to the case as they believed Christian might have kept duplicates of these trophies. However, no such items were found in the area where he camped and forensic matches are not expected. However, investigators suspect that Christian might have hidden evidence in other undisclosed locations. Christian may be facing more charges by German prosecutors over other sex offenses he committed in Portugal, which doesn't surprise me. They were originally dropped because a state court ruled it didn't have jurisdiction to hear the case. And this case took place before Madeline's case and was only 10 miles away from where Madeline went missing. It's horrific. These poor women and children who are traumatized by this monster. And in this case, it was a 20 year old girl who had to face an intruder breaking into her apartment. He essayed her at knife point and filmed it for four hours. And witnesses reported seeing a man who looked like Christian. Christian will also be tried for two other sexual assaults he filmed at his previous residence. He could be going to trial as early as February 2024, and sources are saying that charges and a trial for Madeline could be shortly after. Of course, Christian's lawyers requested to have his trial pushed back, but that has been denied. Now, just a note about these break-ins. In a previous video, I talked about Christian and the theory the authorities are saying was, you know, he broke into the vacation apartment of the McCanns and that one of his former friends said that Christian could easily break in as he had a set of lock picks. And in other updates, there's an artist who created a depiction of what she believes Madeline would look like now and said that she would look like her sister. Artist's name is Simone Malik or Simone Malik. Sorry if I got that wrong, but she first unveiled these pictures in 2021. And then there's one more topic that I'm not going to get too much into, but a woman came forward this year saying that she is Madeline McCann. She said she looks like her, that she has the same defect in one of her eyes as Madeline. It was a big uproar. She was all over social media, but at the end of the day, she took a DNA test and she is not Madeline McCann. What do you think? Do you think they finally have their guy that this Christian Bruckner is the one responsible, or do you think he's just a scapegoat and that they are looking in the wrong direction? Let me know below. Next up is a 27-year-old case, John Benet Ramsey. On the morning of December 26, 1996, in Boulder, Colorado, little six-year-old John Benet Ramsey was discovered brutally slain in the basement of her family's home. The case immediately drew national attention as John Benet's glamorous beauty pageant photos and her family's affluent lifestyle became central themes. The Ramsey family, consisting of John Benet's parents, John and Patsy, who has been deceased for some time now, and her older brother, Burke. They were thrust into the spotlight as both victims and suspects. A three-page ransom note found in the house hinted at a kidnapping, but there were inexplicable elements that raised suspicion. 
However, the investigation from the get-go was a mess. It was marred by mishandling of evidence and leaks to the media. Despite a grand jury indictment, the case remains unsolved to this day. Theories abound, ranging from intruder theories to accusations of family involvement. Some believe an unknown assailant committed the crime, while others suggest it was an accidental death covered up by the family. But last year, the Boulder Police Department announced they were launching a case review of the John Bonet case. They were launching a team to go over the evidence and use new techniques in hopes of catching her killer. For the last year, Boulder, Colorado County officials have been meeting with the Ramsey family and keeping them in the loop of any new developments. Now the FBI, the DA's office, Colorado Department of Public Safety, and the CBI and the police department have been collaborating and working extremely hard on their renewed efforts while also teaming up with private labs that specialize in different types of DNA analysis. In 2021, the Boulder PD investigators analyzed DNA that was found on John Bonet's waistband of her long johns that night she was murdered and compared it to nearly 1,000 DNA samples to see if any matches came up, but their efforts were fruitless. And in 2022, it was announced that the case was to go to the Colorado Cold Case Review Team. And in reports, DNA evidence was recovered from John Bonet's fingernails and from her clothes, and it was revealed that it wasn't a match from members of the family or those who were close to the household. And according to a book that was written, these findings were given to one of the Boulder detectives around three weeks after the murder, but he waited months before giving this info to the prosecutor. And the parents were under suspicion for years. John Bonet's father, John, made two strict demands that he believes will be the key to solving his daughter's case. The first is to test a number of items of evidence for DNA that were never tested before, including the garrote that was found around John Bonet's neck. The fear that Boulder PD had was the fear of destroying the small sample they have left, but testing has significantly changed over the last two and a half decades. With the right lab and technology, all they need is a small sample to develop a profile. And it's been reported that at least five pieces of evidence that was previously unexamined has started the process and the testing process using this new DNA technology. And investigators will be using familial DNA on previously untested evidence, as mentioned, to build this DNA profile of the suspect. Their expectation will be of someone completely unrelated to the Ramses. The second request John had is to turn all DNA over to a state-of-the-art genealogy lab. John said that he's hopeful with this new team and leadership from outside of the department. He said in the last 25 years, there were three different police chiefs, but they'd all been promoted within the department. And he said, you can't promote someone in a dysfunctional organization to lead it and hope it can be changed. That just doesn't work. He said he is impressed with the new chief and assistant chief and is very hopeful. He does go on to say, so not only do I want to solve this to remove this cloud from my family's name, but more than anything, I want to get this creature off the streets. He said if they find the killer and if this person has killed other children, that he's going to be the Boulder's police's worst enemy. 
He said, I will name names of the people who failed at their job and resulted in the death of other children. And if it is true, I will name names and say, the blood of these children are on your hands. You failed at your job miserably. John claimed that the police hastily jumped to conclusions and withheld crucial DNA evidence that would have cleared him and his late wife, Patsy, as prime suspects. Specifically, DNA found under John Bonet's fingernails did not match the parents' DNA, but instead belonged to an unidentified male. However, the police did not disclose this information and maintained the suspicion around the Ramsey family. John accused the Boulder Police Department of intentionally keeping these details about the unidentified DNA hidden and allegedly leaking inaccurate information to the media. Their strategy appeared to be to make either John or Patsy confess under the assumption that one of them was responsible for the crime. In John's words, the police released misleading information to the press while withholding the crucial DNA evidence, which they failed to share with the district attorney's office for months. Their case against the Ramseys primarily focused on their behavior on the morning of the incident, implying that their actions were suspicious. And side note, I did hear, I mean, years and years ago, that there was a 911 call. The operator came forward, which is very interesting. If you remember where that was from, let me know below because I'd love to take a look at that again. Thank you. Now, after scrutinizing nearly a thousand DNA samples, the Boulder, Colorado police are exploring fresh leads regarding potential persons of interest in the John Bonet Ramsey case. Although there haven't been any arrests yet, the police are currently focusing their attention on several individuals, according to an inside source. In May of 2022, the Boulder police issued a press release reporting the department followed up on every lead that has come in, which includes 21,016 tips, letters, and email. It said that investigators traveled in 19 states to interview or speak with more than 1,000 people. Now, there are many suspects, but ones that have been in the news recently or in the last little while is John Mark Carr. In 2006, John Mark Carr, who's an American school teacher, was arrested in Thailand and was said to have confessed to killing John Bonet Ramsey. He was subsequently extradited to the U.S., but was later released due to the inability of law enforcement to link him to the crime scene, and his DNA did not match the evidence found at the scene. Recently, in an interview, Carr stated that his previous confession may have been an attempt to protect someone else. He emphasized that he is not mentally unstable and claimed that there is much more to this story. He mentioned that he has been investigated by the FBI for numerous other crimes and is currently residing outside the U.S. for his own safety. When Carr was originally arrested and interrogated, he possessed details of the murder that had not been disclosed to the public. Authorities acknowledged that many of his claims were substantiated by physical evidence. In 2006, Carr asserted that he had drugged John Bonet and engaged in sexual acts with her. However, the autopsy did not detect drugs or alcohol in the little girl's body. Furthermore, there was no evidence of semen on her body, although she did have minor vaginal abrasions. There were 11 days in December of 1996, including the date of the murder, during which Carr's precise whereabouts were unknown. Relatives claimed that he had been at family gatherings in Georgia, but there was no concrete evidence to support this. And Carr's ex-wife asserted that he had been with her in Alabama for the entire Christmas season of 1996. Moreover, the DNA evidence found on John Bonet Ramsey's undergarments did not match his DNA. 
Local police believe that if his confession were accurate, that his DNA would have been present at the crime scene. The FBI also maintained that the DNA found at the scene did not clear Carr, but suggested that someone else might have been involved. Another guy named Gary Oliva, he is a convicted pedophile. He repeatedly confessed to the murder of John Bonet as well. His connection to the case includes a disturbing phone call made to a former classmate, and it was just hours before John Bonet's murder became public. In the call, he mentioned, I hurt a little girl, raising suspicions about his involvement. Furthermore, this guy lived in approximately uh, a close proximity to the Ramsey family's home and at the time of the murder, staying in a property just 13 houses away, which has led to questions about his potential interactions with John Bonet or knowledge of her home. His history of stealing art supplies and his fascination with complex knots align with the aspects of John Bonet's murder, which involved a garrote made from a white rope and a broken paintbrush handle. Additionally, his criminal record includes a 1991 incident where he attempted to strangle his mother and a 1990 molestation case involving a seven-year-old girl. Despite his disturbing confessions in letters, his DNA evidence did not match and he has not been charged with connection with John Bonet's murder. The case remains open and there is this ongoing investigation into his potential involvement. But currently he is serving a 10 year sentence for child pornography possession and is expected to be released in 2025. Now, John Andrew, who's John Bonet's older half-brother, is skeptical of this guy's involvement in the crime. He believes that the real perpetrator is likely a sadistic pedophile who gains pleasure from torturing and killing children, and he does not believe that this guy matches his profile. John Andrew also suggests that the killer is likely hiding behind a suburban lifestyle, similar to the accused Gilgo killer, and that their darkness would manifest in other areas of their life. I also have a series on that. You can check that out below in the description box. Now, Detective Lou Smith, who identified this Gary Oliva guy as a suspect in the early 2000s, proposed a theory suggesting that a pedophile may have broken into the Ramsey home with the intent of kidnapping John Bonet and subsequently murdering her. This theory was initially endorsed by this guy and was acknowledged by the Ramseys. But John Bonet's father, John, believes that an intruder entered their home while their family was out celebrating Christmas and patiently waited for the opportune moment to strike during the night while they were asleep. Due to the complex layout of their home, John speculates that the intruder or intruders might have entered multiple times and potentially surveyed the family for an extended period, possibly weeks or even months leading up to the tragic event. This theory leads back to Gary Oliva, who had connections to a property located just 13 houses away from the Ramsey residence. Smith also suggested that Oliva may have been part of a group of intruders who entered that home that night, potentially driven by these, well, pedo motivations. And the Boulder police chief said, we have a shared goal to bring justice and hopefully some peace to John Bonet's family and everyone who was impacted by her loss. Our investigation with federal, state, and local partners have never stopped. That includes new ways to use DNA technology. This investigation has always been and will continue to be a priority for the Boulder Police Department. And speaking of the Ramsey home, 
The home where they lived and where John Bonet was murdered was listed for sale in March 2023 for seven million dollars. The Ramseys sold the home in 1998 to investors and in 2001 the home's address was changed and a privacy fence was installed by the owners. Now John recently expressed his regrets about allowing John Bonet to participate in beauty pageants and acknowledged that it may have been connected to her murder. He admitted that the pageants brought unwanted attention and that he didn't like the costumes and the associated aspects. However, he didn't voice concerns at the time because he saw that his wife Patsy and John Bonet were enjoying themselves together. John revealed that he initially believed these pageants were attended by parents and grandparents, not realizing that there were individuals with sinister intentions, such as the pedos, and he described this decision as a not a good idea and admitted their naivety. Now, he also shared his deep sense of guilt and regret, expressing that he should have protected his daughter. He mentioned that he used to tell John Bonet every day that she was loved, but he feels that he failed in his duty as a father to protect her. He said he's haunted by guilt and said, she knew she was loved. I used to tell her every day, but a father has to protect their children. He says if he could tell his daughter anything, he'd say, I'm sorry, I didn't protect you. That's a dad's job. And John expressed his admiration for the investigators in Moscow for their response to the murder case of Brian Koberger and the Idaho Four. He particularly highlighted their quick decision-making to involve larger, better-resourced agencies, including state police and the FBI, in the investigation, which left a positive impression on him. He said he contrasted the handling of the Idaho murders with the investigation into his daughters, and he pointed out that Boulder Police Department declined assistance from the FBI and the larger Denver Police Department despite the inexperience of their investigators, which he viewed as a stark contrast to the proactive approach of the Moscow investigation. You can also see the Brian Koberger case also in the description box below. What are your thoughts on all these three cases? Do you think they'll be solved? We know that the one with Natalie Holloway was solved. Do you believe that it is the truth that it was Yorin? What do you think about Madeline's case? Is it Christian? What do you think about John Benet's? Do you think that they're finally going to get justice now that they have a new team? Let me know in the comments below. Here's what you can watch next. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you in the next video.